Thanks, Caroline. So I'm going to do two things this morning. First, I want to introduce our guest uh, preacher, Anna Jelsey, and then I'm also going to finish reading the story from Luke 15, which we typically call the prodigal son, because that's the, the passage Anna Jelsey is going to be using to preach from. So um, first of all, I, I put her website into the chat just so that you have that. Um, I was trying to think about, I was like, man, how do I even, how do I even introduce you on a Jelsey? I, I think I first met you or saw you on a panel that you were on with my wife, Rachel, maybe 10 years ago at a conference. And I remember sitting there and thinking, this woman has some important perspectives for the church if we have ears to hear it. And so um, at the risk of sounding creepy, which I don't think I am, but I've been following just your, your vocation or your career as you have, um, you know, developed here over the last 10 years and gone into more working with universities and colleges and nonprofits and faith communities, doing a lot of consulting and educating um, on justice. And what I think you coined the term interlocking justice. So really trying to have a more intersectional view of all the different um, areas that are sometimes not even brought in. So talking a lot about decolonization of the church and of, well, our entire culture here. Um, and so if you would like to support Anna Delcy, there are ways to do that on her website. I know Anna Delcy, you are also a very, a pretty serious artist, which I love because I think that the arts, both the fine and the performing arts are really helpful in us kind of breaking down some of these structures. And so I really appreciate sort of that holistic view that you bring. Um, so I know some of you probably heard Anna Jelsey last August. I really thought it was one of the most lovely sermons that I'd heard. And so I feel really, um, it sounds so churchy, but so blessed, I guess, to have you back with us and allowing us just to learn from you. And so we come receiving with open arms what you have to bring this morning. And so with that said, let me finish reading the story that Nathan began reading. This is again from Luke 15. and. I will even copy and paste some of this. Oh, somebody else got it, that's great. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked them what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. So with that, I will turn it over to Anna Jelsey. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, first, Emily, that was such a lovely uh, welcome. That was really sweet. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, uh, 
it's interesting. I was emailing with Emily this week and I was saying how I've had, um, I'm having a rough time, which feels like everyone is, it sort of goes without saying, um, where I, I, how are you right now is almost always being met with, well, I'm having a rough time. Um, so I have been, and I had a rough night's sleep and I'm dealing with, with some stuff. Um, and so I was really struggling to wrap my mind around kind of what I wanted to share this morning and, uh, what it was that I was, uh, getting from my reading of, of Luke 15, so it took a little bit of time for me to, to really suss something out amidst all of the, the things that I was struggling with. But when I finally sat with the scripture, um, there was something in particular that really stood out to me. And that was uh, what we could learn from the relationship between these two brothers, between the dutiful and the prodigal. And so um, I, 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 kind of, I finally felt that burst of energy when you're reading and you're going, I don't know, I don't know. And then something just clicks. So that's what we're going to talk about because that's what finally clicked for me um, when I was reading the scripture. Um, so uh, starting with, I wanted to just share um, something that I have learned. One of the most beautiful uh, freeing things that has happened for me as I've gotten older is what a gift it has become to realize that I can say things like, I don't know, or I've never heard of that. Um, or one of my particular favorites, which is I'm not really informed enough to have an opinion on that. End of story. <laughs> Whereas uh, there was no way that 25-year-old Anna Jelsey could have said those things because I was so concerned with being formidable and informed and above all else, never embarrassing myself. Like paramount was to never embarrass myself. And I still struggle every day with the fear of being embarrassed. Thank you, chronic anxiety. That's probably going to be a lifelong thing. Um, but I have nearly let go of the belief that I always have to appear as though I have arrived and that I know it all. And it's incredibly freeing. Um, the ability to do so has been a particularly powerful gift when it comes to um, movements for justice and liberation and, and my ability to bring my full self into those spaces. Uh, and that includes flaws and all. So I'm okay now with the truth that at times in my life, I have been the prodigal daughter and I'll likely be again, um, not because I'm not committed or trying, but because growth is not necessarily a linear process. Um, humans make mistakes inevitably, um, but it it can be particularly hard to watch sometimes, isn't it? Um, it, it? When we're not the ones making it and we're witnessing it happen, we can get incredibly frustrated. So that was some of what I was thinking about when I was reading Luke through Luke 15. Um, because I've not only been the prodigal daughter, I've also been the dutiful daughter. I've played both roles at different points in my life. I have stood on the protest lines. I've pursued healing from trauma. I've put in the hours, I've read the books, um, I've endured the critiques. So I think you'd be hard pressed to find those who can say similar and have them be able to deny ever feeling resentment. Resentment towards those who showed up just in time to throw on a safety pin or throw up their black box on social media, or resentment towards those that really comfortably believed in the American dream up until 2016. Um, resentment towards those that opted for the safety of assimilation rather than resistance. Um, resentment towards those that did a 180 on Monday and had a book deal on Tuesday. How could those that um, 
how could they not feel that resentment when there are siblings in the movement that have lived dutifully into the ideals of liberation? And they're the ones that are the most traumatized, the most exhausted, erased, ridiculed, if not killed. When we think about that, resentment becomes understandable. And there's a special kind of frustration that is only possible with family. And I'm sure some of you are, are familiar with that. Um, we expect more from and want more from the people with whom we're connected. If a white straight man harms me or mine, it's, I understand it differently than when I'm hurt by my own. They're both hurts, but, they, but I understand them differently. There's a unique pain and anger when it's my own people or folks with shared identity that harm me. And so I have to remind myself and ask um, in those moments, what is the vision? Is it not that the veils of things like colonialism and white supremacy, like xenophobia and ableism, transphobia, um, that all of these things would be lifted for everyone? I want all of us to be able to re return home to the idea that we belong to and are responsible for one another. That is what liberation is, not a race to perfection. And so I was reading some research um, that came out of the Indigenous Community Governance Project, which is um, an endeavor out of uh, the Indigenous communities in Australia. And I was struck by a few words that I wanted to share with you. They say, um, an Aboriginal and Torres Strait leaders, um, Islander leaders representation and accountability operates in multiple directions across layers of their networks. There are strongly culturally based rules and values that stress the need for leaders to speak only on behalf of or represent the right people, meaning their own people, about the right issue, meaning their country and their business. The strongest expectation then is that a leader should first and foremost look after and be accountable to their own family and local group. So the thing that I took from that is though there is a unique pain and anger when we're hurt by our own, there is also a unique responsibility to look after our own. So I'm not interested. This might kind of sound like it's teetering on, but I wanna make clear that what this is not is a conversation where I'm trying to take a stand for or against cancel culture, however you might define that. And I'm not looking to debate things like the merits of calling in versus calling out. Um, for me, those really evoke a harsh binary where um, components of activism either are deemed good, wholly good or wholly bad. And uh, there, this is either a, we look at them as either a valuable tool or a worthless tool, either healthy or unhealthy. And it's not that simple. Um, so for example, though this conversation is not about cancel culture, the example that comes to mind is cancel culture may appear absolute, but it's birth from a need to protect disempowered individuals and assert boundaries. And if we're being honest, criticism from disempowered people, no matter how severe that criticism might be, doesn't amount to persecution. Um, so while that is a talk for another day, I wanted to just point out that like those are not the things that I'm looking to focus on. Right now, the conversation is about the interpersonal relationship with those who share our identities and community. So what was on my mind when I prepared to talk with you today was um, the complexity, and I cannot think of a better word than messiness, the messiness of working to grow within community. Um, when we're not necessarily moving at the same pace, we're not always all on the same page in our process. So my thoughts right now aren't on the very worthwhile conversation about people holding other people accountable when there's a power differential, because that conversation is important. And so power differential, I mean, when it's, you know, 
the private citizens from marginalized groups speaking out against empowered people who are celebrities or politicians, that is a different conversation. My thoughts are on the tension in the personal relationships of people that share an identity or community, but are not in the same place on their journey towards liberation and healing. So that's what I'm thinking about when I look at Luke 15. When it comes to intercommunity conversations, the question becomes, how do the dutiful and the prodigal find ways to not engage in lateral harm? Because I think it's happening both ways. I don't want to destroy, for example, the brown girl um, who, as a result of something like white supremacy and colonialism, doesn't know her own people's worth. My goal is not to see her silenced, cast out, exiled. Um, In the same way that others did for me um, when I didn't know better, I want to be able to offer something to that young girl, to those people that share my identity. So when we look you know, at Luke, every parable from this chapter is about finding precious things that we've lost. It's about finding uh, sheep and coins and brothers. Every single one of us is worthy of the labor of being found. And it is labor. It's labor that we have, um, we have a shared responsibility, but necessarily an equal, not necessarily an equal responsibility in doing. We just have to remember that every one of us is worthy of it. So there is um, the the thing that I I try to remind myself as I do this work, because especially when you do it publicly and people start to think that you've somehow arrived or just know, (laughs) inherently know something that others don't. um, I have to remind myself that there is not a single one of us, not a single one of us that has left the womb pro-queer, anti-colonial, anti-ableist, pro-black, feminist, anti-capitalist. We do not come out of the womb with the inherent knowledge of these things and how to act in it and move in them. It's tabula rasa. We are a blank slate. We are a blank slate that is capable of embodying both life-giving and death-dealing beliefs. So if we are to resist without becoming the oppressor, which I hope is the goal that resistance can be done without uh, becoming the oppressor ourselves, we have to be intentional about what accountability accountability looks like. There, um, if you don't know Bell Hooks, um, uh, Bell Ho- the works of Bell Hooks, I, I really encourage you to, to dive into them. Um, there's a couple of words from her that I want to share today. Um, one of them is where she talks about um, individual liberation, and she refers to it as a historical moment when one begins to think critically about the self and identity in relation to one's political circumstance. And it's the three, the first three words that really stick out to me, a historical moment not an inherent knowledge. The understanding each of us carries is owed to generations of laborers. We don't come to it on our own. um, And recalling that truth, for me at least, really aids um, in having humility, even when I'm working to hold others accountable. I have to remind myself that who I am today is fundamentally different from the person I was five, 10, or 20 years ago. And much of that, if not arguably all of that, is due to my relationships and who I am in community and who I've encountered and what they've been willing to share with me. None of us is growing independently from others. Growth is a collaborative endeavor, and it's limited by the demand we place on ourselves and one another for perfection and reminding ourselves that perfection is a limitation. 
is a really helpful tool. Um, Hooks goes on to offer some further wisdom um, around really one of the things that she is most known for and celebrated for, which is this ethic of love within justice work that she cultivated. So she says, without love, our efforts to liberate ourselves and our world from oppression and exploitation are doomed. It's a very pointed statement. Without love, we are doomed. I want to embrace this ethic in order to allow myself to be guided and in order to guide others in their transformative process. So I I do want to say, please hear me clearly. We have a right to our emotions. Uh, We have a right to our emotions when we find ourselves in the role of the dutiful sibling. Um, Healing work means learning how to process any kind of pain or anger or resentment that's born from seeing sometimes our own people resist liberation. It doesn't mean we never get to express it. An ethic of love does not mean we cannot express our anger, our frustration, or offer accountability. When harm is being done, we need to name it, regardless of who is responsible or how intimately we are connected to them. And the reality is this may not always look or sound kind. Um, It may not be particularly nice in the moment. And honestly, and maybe on my mind will change as I get older. Right now, I'm okay with that. Um, I recognize that human relationships are messy and discomfort is inevitable. And being okay with that has helped a lot when it comes to having to grow and have uncomfortable conversations. My concern isn't that we all remain really polite or that we tone police one another's anger. That is not what I'm asking people to do. My concern is where we are willing to leave our, when we are willing to leave our own people Um, and abandon them once the flames of that frustration and anger dies down. I'm concerned with the willingness to do that. And this doesn't mean that we pretend not to see the fires when they're burning, not to see the things that people are doing, whether it is due to internalized oppressive beliefs or not, harm is harm. Um, Acting on those beliefs means hurting oneself, if not others. So there are definitely varying degrees, at at least for me, when it comes to how fiercely I respond to dangerous behavior from my own people. And when the consequences look like they're going to have an impact not only on the person engaging in them, um, but also as on others, I'm probably going to get louder. And I'm probably going to get more pointed in my naming of that harm because being a member of my community or any community that you hurt does not absolve you of responsibility towards that community, absolve you of any, absolve you of any harm you did. What I won't do or what I don't want to do and I want to make, I want to be held accountable to the standard is not to direct my anger towards my own people and then abandon them afterwards. It's that second part. I can get angry. We can get angry. It's the abandoning our people afterwards. I want to offer education as freely as it has been offered to me. I want to offer forgiveness and grace and direction in the ways that it has been offered to me. Even if what I'm feeling is anger, I might take the moment to express it, but I don't want to leave people there. If we can let go of this sort of perpetrator survivor dichotomy we've created, um, However useful that sometimes seems, it's really easy to do the like Disney character villain hero thing. It's not really that way in real life. Um, If we can see beyond that dichotomy, we can begin to imagine something um, greater than punishment and retribution. 
we can envision things like accountability beyond um, ways that is just modeling the oppressive systems we're saying we want to dismantle, but it takes a lot of work. Um, it requires a different methodology of leadership, one that's um, really connected and committed to collective liberation, not personal achievements. And I think a lot of times our anger, our frustration, our animosity and our willingness to abandon people is we are concerned with our personal achievements and, and peop the world's impression of us and those we're connected to rather than concerned with our collective liberation. Um, and each encounter, the thing we need to remember is we are making a decision knowingly or not, to either undermine someone's growth or to inspire it. It is a decision. Um, if my younger siblings, and when I say younger siblings, that might mean chronologically, and it might mean experientially. If my younger siblings are seeking a way back home, I want to welcome them. I want to celebrate and rejoice because what was lost has now been found. There's a poem um, I'd like to read for you from a woman named Lisa Kennedy. She is a uh, descendant of the Trollwulwe people on the coast of Tasmania. Um, so this is an indigenous uh, poet. And I feel like there's so much we can glean from her words um, to remind us about how to be in relationship with one another. So she says, the spirits of the land have compelled me to speak with what I know. I've looked for creative ways to bring out what I feel inside. I've always felt a responsibility and a need to share. Over time, I've become more open and learned to trust more deeply. These days I feel connected and part of a continuity of playful, imaginative, creative ways of knowing. I have learned to hold back and not push so much, working in more collaborative ways, bringing knowledge and the environment together providing opportunities for others to create something together. I know I'm working at the edge and I know I'm lucky. I'm grateful to the old people for what I've been given. I feel a responsibility to do things the right way. It takes time and the process needs to be respected. I feel I am in service to the larger community. It is exciting to see the potential in others, knowing that if we work together, something great could happen. It's important to know where we have come from, recognizing where we are now, drawing from the best of it all, and then communicating it creati creatively. Culture lives in us all. That's from Lisa Kennedy. And the reason I love these words and I feel like they connect with, with what I was um, uh, thinking as I was reading through Luke is the way in which she keeps calling us back to the community, to the shared knowledge, to the shared labor, to a willingness to, to hold back and to push the balance that she reminds us to hold. There's so much wisdom in those words. And so that's sort of my, uh, what I want to implore uh, for each of us to do, myself included, is to remember where I have been, where I've come from, recognize where I am now and ask myself the question, what do I need to do to help bring others to this place, even as I'm working to continue moving forward? These are the questions we need to ask ourselves. When we come down, when the flames are put out and the question becomes, how do we remain in community? We have to be able to see past that dichotomy of perpetrator and victim and ask, how do we get free together? What does liberation look like for all of us? and not just for myself, not for my personal achievement of liberation, because that is a false liberation. So how do we do this together? Thank you.
Okay, can I say like a million amens to so much of what you said? Thank you so much, Anna Jalsi. It, it reminds me of the book, I think I shared with you that we were reading here for Lent as a community, the Book of Joy, because that was, I think that's one of Bishop Tutu's um, messages that we've been trying to learn from is just that the oppressor is also harming themselves. And so having empathy in that space and compassion and understanding that it isn't just black and white um, and that it is liberation for everyone. Um, I know if I can just reflect back from the community, I think probably a lot of our people would really um, have a deep understanding here of what you're saying. And it's helpful to have somebody outside come in and, and, and name some of this and name it maybe better than I can ever articulate. Um, and through and with different lenses for it as well, because you tend to work with things on a like much broader or bigger uh, scale. Um, and that's knowing that all of us have grown a lot and can identify with that prodigal son. I know I certainly have. And wanting to extend that same grace, but also really, really like when you really start to grasp the importance of the liberation, it it becomes so intense and it, it can be something that foments resentment but i know even with our community i think we all know like there's some things that i think we do really well and we have plenty of growth areas that we're trying to lean into and so it's giving ourselves grace as well as giving our i've had to do a lot of like giving my younger self grace and as i've learned to kind of forgive my younger self that helps me extend that grace to other people who are still there um and what a beautiful way to bring that into Luke 15. Um, and I do think it's so hard for especially just Western uh, culture to think communally rather than individually. And that's maybe the hardest breakdown that we have is that collective liberation. Because man, personal achievement is just, it's just sewn into so many of us from the get go. Yeah, our, our culture prioritizes it, celebrates it. It's very yeah. hard to break away from so hard i mean we yeah we honor it with salary and bonus it, like there's all the incentives yeah. are for that, that lack of humility mm. so thank you You're i've told anna jelsey and i'll say it to me like one day i would like to have you to come do a, a larger workshop we will be i would love that work toward that i would really love that um we usually do a meditation right after a sermon and so i i wanted to just listen um and if something kind of stuck out and there was there was a particular thing i'm going to put it into the chat so sometimes we sit in just silence or sometimes we have a guided meditation but i think maybe i'll just allow us to take some silence and if this quote was helpful to you for making some space um, for the spirit or creator to move it was this one every single one of us is worthy of the labor of being found and i just knowing where some of you are right now and some of the people who are newer who have come i think that could be a really helpful starting place that you're worthy of the labor of being found and so i'll invite you if you would like to um, maybe just sit here for a minute and we'll just invite creator to foment that uh, to say or help our minds to respond or our imaginations to respond in whatever way um, the spirit would like. And I'll let you know when the time is up.
the Creator, we thank you that we are worthy of the labor of being found. And yes, that your spirit would be with us um, as we move forward toward our collective liberation, that you would continue to give us wisdom, um, that you would help us to help us to be open to learn, help us to have grace on those who are also leaning in to this work, even if we're not all in the same spaces. Um, we ask that your spirit would come and empower us and also just comfort us. Um, this work is hard. It's not easy work and there's a cost to it. And so we ask that you would just really breathe into those parts of our hearts and our lives and our minds that give us life and that help us to thrive um, so that we can continue doing this work. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God whose very essence is love. And without love, we would be doomed. Thank you for all of that. Amen. <laughs>